Welcome to the Legacy Nashville podcast. We are so grateful that you've taken the time out of your day or night to tune in. We pray that this message encourages you to love God, love people, and change the world. Now, let's get to the message. Well, I am I am very excited to, you know, spend a little time in the word today with you and and just talk a bit about what I feel that God is talking to me about. So it may come out a little bit differently than normally. Uh, When I preach, I tend to put in somewhere around 12 to 20 hours per message. Genuinely, most of my messages, I put in a ton of time. Now, every now and then, God just shows up and speaks. And in 30 minutes, I have a manuscript. And that's what I give you guys on Sunday. But in this season, I don't know if it's the COVID chaos, I don't know if it's the shutdown, I don't know if it's returning back to phase two, all of the confusion, everything going on in the news, but there has just been this simplicity to my sermon prep, and I've not tried to sermonize, I've not tried to dress it up, I've not tried to put in 20 hours and give you guys four strong points. I have simply set at the Word of God, at prayer, And at different resources and books and I've just said okay this is what I got and then in about 15 minutes I'll throw it all into a Google Doc on Saturday afternoon and then I just share it with you so my style in this season has shifted just a little bit so just don't hold it against me if I don't sermonize as well as you guys are used to is there is there grace to have a family moment this morning okay awesome um, also, I'm breaking a preacher rule today. Cause, cause, so I'm breaking two, really, because one would be you got to put in all of the time. You know, you never preach about what you don't know about. That's a good rule of thumb for all of you growing preachers, okay? Uh, but I'm breaking that rule today a little bit because the Lord has me in this process. And so I just would like to simply process with you what I'm processing with the Lord. Is that okay? So it's like a real family moment, man. Like I'm breaking two rules. I'm not supposed to do that, but I am because there's only 27 people in the room and um, you guys are online and we're just in this sermon series right now, air quotes, sermon series, which basically means I get up here every Sunday and talk until I say something. And that's what we do uh, right now during this whole family reunion theme that we've adopted for this season. Because we're talking about re-entry. We're talking about the church coming back into the building. We're not reopening because praise God, the church has never closed. Amen. The church is open because Jesus is truly building his church. Do you guys believe that? Like Jesus is building his church. Kelly, you want to hang with me the whole time? Okay. Yep. She can't really say no up here. You know, she has to be like, yeah, we'll, we'll see how it goes. I'll give you a thumbs up if it's, if we should do something else. Um, but I just felt the confirmation of the Lord this morning as I was driving to church and, 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 and I heard the Lord just remind me, I am building my church. Most of us in this room are leaders. We're staff. We're volunteers of different teams or departments, and you should take confidence in this. You are not responsible for building this church. (laughs) I'm not saying not to take any responsibility, but what I'm telling you is, is that the supreme responsibility for this church to grow in every way, shape, and form belongs to nobody but King Jesus. And that should give us so much confidence. That should encourage our hearts this morning. Because despite our frailty and despite our failures, the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ is working through His church. And He will build His church. It doesn't matter if it's a pandemic. doesn't matter if it's an epidemic. doesn't matter if it's systemic. I don't, I don't know any other rhymes, but it doesn't matter. Jesus is building His church. Somebody say amen to that. We are going to come out of this thing as gold. Whatever situation you're going through right now, you're going to come out as gold, Josh and Nicole. We go through the fire, but we come out tried as gold. 
That is the word of the Lord. That is the eternal truth of God. And we can plant our feet on that and take it to the bank because he tells the truth 10 times out of 10. Amen. 100 times out of 100. It always, always is true. And so I'm breaking some rules today and I'm just going to prophetically process with you some things that God has been talking to me about family. So I'm going to pray. I'm going to ask you to pray with me and then I'll let, I'll let Kelly go. Okay. How's that? How's that work? Because I just don't know how this is going to go. And so it might not be the best uh, vibe for me to process. So we'll see what happens. Okay. So Lord, we just want to say thank you so much for being with us in the process. There is no pressure for us to have all things figured out and finalized because we know you know where we're headed. And if we will follow you, it will guarantee us that we will end up right where we're supposed to be. Lord, we choose intimacy. We choose intimacy over strategy. We choose intimacy over intellect. We choose intimacy over strength or skill set. We choose intimacy over every single thing that we have to offer God. We simply choose you. And we say, God, show up today in a mighty way. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. Awesome. Kelly, thanks. You're the best. Kelly definitely wins for best hair as well. So we can all agree on that. We are all jealous. I wanted to take a picture today from that corner so that I could catch both Kelly and Evan's hair in the same picture. And I was like, we have it going on here with the hair. Let's just best hair, period. Allie as well, best hair, boom. So um, last week, do you guys remember what I talked about last week? What did I talk about? I didn't remember. I was hoping somebody would. That's right. Diamonds in the rough. That's right. Amen. I did. Yes. Good word, Lyle. And um, at the end of the word, I actually talked a bit about something that I felt God was speaking to me concerning, which was not just the method of our church family, uh, or excuse me, the motive of our church family, but the method of our church family. Do you guys remember that? You probably don't remember that part. It's like I just sprinkled it in right there at the end because I was like, this is just something that I feel like the Lord is on. And how many of you guys like you, you don't want to hug a skeleton? Right? Bony. Right? Like, like cutting. Like no one wants to hug a skeleton. We, we want to hug soft, warm, you know, ooey gooey flesh. I know it's a little bit weird. It's, forgive the analogy. But listen, my grandmother growing up was six foot three and weighed over 300 pounds. And let me tell you, she was the best hugger. She would like absorb me and then, and then she would spoon feed me fruity pebbles. I was eight. And it was still happening like that. So that's real. That's a comfortable hug. That's a good hug. It's a nice, warm embrace, right? But you can't just do family with all of the feels. In order to do family well, you also have to have some function, right? So you have to have a skeletal system. You have to have um, a, a makeup, an interior makeup that is able to uphold uh, that soft flesh that everybody likes to hug and to feel when they come into the house. And for years now, actually since 2011, um, I have been making this declaration, and you guys know it very well, we're not just a ministry, we are a... So we've been saying that for a very long time. It was not our decision to make that declaration. That decision came to us from the Lord. We were in a living room at the time. There was like, we started up in North Nashville. There was, I think, maybe eight or nine people. We'd all moved to Nashville from different cities throughout the U.S. We had no idea that Nashville was the last place that needed another church. And then we showed up here and we're like, we're going to plant a church and a missions base. And we're going to have a missions training center and a sending center. And we're going to send missionaries out to India. But we have no idea how to do it. So we should probably study the function and the systems and the structure of church and figure out how to organize this, uh, this organization, right? But then the Holy Spirit spoke to us and said, I don't want you to do that yet. I want you to make this declaration that you're not just building a church, you're building a... Yeah. 
a family. So we started to declare that. And honestly, it was the worst. You guys know this story. Like, people would show up and they were like, I thought this was a family. This isn't a family. You guys suck. You know, and we were like, what? Like, we're doing our best. We're just declaring what God told us to say, you know. And they're like, you're the worst. Uh, and, and it was terrible. You know, I remember being insulted time and time again by people who were angry that we had made that declaration and assumption that, that the church could actually become a family. They're like, what? That's, that's crazy. You know, but then other people would show up and they were like, this is awesome. Family, finally, I'm coming over to your house. And I'm like, hold on, wait just a second. I don't really know you. No, I'm coming over. We're doing a sleepover. We're going to barbecue. We're going to watch movies until 3 a.m. And I'm like, yo, dude, like that's a little too close for comfort. But you said family. You know, I mean, so we were like, whoa, dude, like I don't I forget this declaration. Flush it. Delete it. We've got to get rid of this. This is definitely not God because it is way too challenging. Uh-oh, that's how so many of us think about the word of the Lord, isn't it? Too challenging must not be the Lord. Probably warfare, leave it alone, right? So we'll just sneak that point in there. But we kept declaring it anyway because the Holy Spirit wouldn't let us stop. And so we recognized that the need that the community had as a whole was to rally around a singular definition of what family was. Because if we were going to say, we're not just building a church, we're building a family, we would need a banner for everybody to unite under because everybody comes to church with a different definition of what family is. Some of you guys grew up in an awesome family and we're never going to be able to replicate your experience here. I'm sorry. Like the only way we could do it is like, serve you breakfast every Sunday and like hug you and pray for you and lay out a couch and a slip and slide down the stairs and like have a taco truck out. You know, I don't know. That'd be awesome though. I'm all for all of those things, including the slip and slide. But like some of you guys are never going to have the experience in church that you had growing up at home. Like I doubt it's going to be possible, Nicole. Like your mom is here. She's way too awesome. We're probably not going to be able to replicate that experience. My granny, she used to make me Pop-Tarts every night with a massive cup of chocolate milk. You ever had a Pop-Tart smothered in butter? It's awesome. She did that for me every single night. I'm probably not going to have that experience here. I doubt I'm going to come in and Pastor Maggie's going to be like, here's your Pop-Tart. I mean, that'd be awesome, but that's probably not going to happen. You know, now there are some people and perhaps some of you guys in here, like you had a terrible experience growing up, like your experience in your home was not good at all. And so your experience in the church is going to be an upgrade or it's going to be better. Or it's going to be different. And it's going to bring healing. And, you know, we just need a, a, a corporate banner that we can give everybody the opportunity to rally beneath and say, this is what family is supposed to be according to God's definition, not according to my expectation. Right? Because anytime our expectations crash into God's definitions, who is it uh, that you think needs to bend? It's not the Lord, right? He's not going to bend, right? He's a, no, this is what I want for you, right? And so what we felt that God was speaking to us was that uh, family is where you're loved into your purpose. And, and I know I say that all the time, but it begs repeating because we need to get it deep into our heart. That is what God is building through Legacy Nashville. That's not what we're building. That's not what Allison and I are building. That's not what the staff team is building. It is what the Lord himself has chosen to build here at Legacy Nashville. We've tried to get away from it. We've tried to move beyond it. Like I said, we've tried to flush it. We've tried to say that's totally not a prophetic word from the Lord. We're leaving it. And we had a Go conference. We used to have these conferences called Go conferences. None of you guys were even here yet, I don't think. Did anybody go? You almost went to a go car. You went to a go for conference. Bliss went to it. Bliss is a real OG. She's been here since like the living room days, I think. And uh, yep, let's go. And so you remember a lot of these ups and downs, Bliss. So we had this go conference and uh, we invited a friend of mine. She used to work for our spiritual mom, Heidi Baker. Her name is Shara Pradden. She's a, a prophetess in her own right. I believe that. And we were on our way to the airport with her and she leaned up through the front two seats with Allison and I. And she said, I have a word for you. And I was like, oh, no. 
Because she's the type of prophet that you don't want to look at in the eye. You know, you know those type of prophetic people? Like you see them in the hallway, you're like... Because you're thinking they're deaf. They know I'm sinning right now. You know, it's like they're going to call me out. Like, I love those people. She's, she's intense like that, you know. And she said, here's what she said. I'm submitting this to you guys as well. Bells, bears witness with us, but, you know, within the context of community, test the prophetic words. And she said, she said uh, the same way that Lou Engle, which is, so I'm like, whoa, is known for prayer, you guys are going to be known all over the world for family. And, of course, you were doing the religious thing. Yes, Lord, yes, Lord. And we're like, God, no. No. <laughs> Anything but family. Prophesy something better. Legacy kids workers. We have plenty of volunteers. Everyone tithes. Please prophesy that. Because at the time, the offerings were like $300 a week. And uh, that was awesome. First year of pastoring, I filed taxes for $4,000. It's true. And they were all personal checks written from Heidi. <laughs> she would come and say, hey, you're going to, you know. A lot of Chinese takeout. So we're like, okay, Lord, that's what you want us to do. You want us to do family. And then last year, we were having another lapse in thinking, like, this is probably not the Lord. Like, that was for yesterday. It's not for today. We got to be current. How many of you guys know you got to be current with God? Right? Particularly if you're going to do family, you have to be current with God. Can I sneak a point in there right now? If you want to be a mom and a dad in the spirit, you have to stay current with God. You know why? Because if you do not stay current with God as a mother or a father, then you'll murder your promises. So think about Abraham. Right? He's taking his son, Isaac, up the mountain. Had he not stayed current with God, he would have murdered his promise. But we know that the word teaches us that man shall not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Meaning we can't live off leftovers and fulfill our promises. Because we'll live off of an old word and then actually slay the things that are supposed to bless us in our future. That makes sense? Okay. I didn't know if that makes sense or not, but... In the context of family, that is how important that it is for us to continually receive fresh revelation from the Lord about what he wants to build in us and build through us. And so we went to the Dwell Conference last year in Dallas, Texas with our dear friends, uh, David and Nicole Binion, which we're actually, go I'm actually going there on Wednesday. I don't know how it's going to go. Y'all pray for me. I have a gum surgery tomorrow and I'm preaching on Wednesday night. I'm like, I hope I'm not just like... Man, it's going to get so swirly. Yes. No, I'm not, I'm not going to be on medicine, so praise God. Um, but we were there at the Dwell Conference, and uh, Bob Sorge spoke. Anybody ever heard of Bob Sorge? No? Okay, you got you to gotta look him up after this. Okay, he had like, I don't know the full story, but he had an injury to his voice, and so he can only talk for one hour a day. And so he preserves that one hour a day to preach, so if you hang out with him, he writes notes and then shows you uh, because he preserves his voice to be able to preach for that day. All right, so you can only talk one hour a day. So he preaches, preaches this amazing word on worship, and Allison and I come up to the front, and we're just getting saved again. Like, you know, when we're not here, guys, we are full on the weird couple at conferences. We're like that couple. And they're like, oh, the Lord's touching them, you know. So we're just like, we're hugging and, and I'm crying. And then David comes over and he cries. I don't know why he cries, but he looks at me and cries. I guess it's because I'm crying. And then there's this other guy who comes up and his name is Prophet Fowler. And I know that because he had got the mic the night before and he had released this prophetic word. And I was like, whoa, that guy's very powerful. And then he walks up to us and he lays hands on Allison and I and he starts to pray. And I don't remember what he prays for the first 30 seconds. But after that, he said, and the Lord says, the culture is family. The culture is family. The culture is family. The culture is family. <laughs> Dang it, Lord. <laughs> Come on. So you ever just been haunted by a word? You know what I'm saying? 
Because it's amazing how, how God works in our lives. We don't always get all of the words that we want, but we do get the words that we need. Right? Because God is so much more interested in our transformation than He is our blessing. See how that sits. Right? God is so much more interested in our transformation than He is our blessing. He wants to bless us. Right? He wants to bless us. Don't, don't mistakenly think I'm saying that He doesn't want to bless you. But even the more than He wants our lives to be comfortable, He wants us to reflect his beauty. He wants us to be transformed. So this whole thing of family, family, family is something that we've been carrying for a while. And honestly, I rejoice in the fact that we receive so many testimonies week in and week out from people who come into this room and they say to us, it feels like family in here. Like our staff gets the privilege of receiving so many testimonies of folks who come in and they're like, it is just so warm. And it's so welcoming, and I feel like so connected, and then I feel, I feel so loved. And, and, and that's not everybody's experience. It's a lot of people's experience. Some people come in here and they think, I'm not cool enough to be here. And that's not in my notes. I'm just throwing it out because it needs to be addressed. All right? That is the enemy. You are absolutely cool enough to be here. Like, if I'm cool enough, you're cool enough, Right? We're all cool enough. If, that, if you are experiencing that or have experienced that, please flush that because that is not from the Lord and it's in no way conviction. It is straight up condemnation that comes from Satan trying to disqualify you from covenant community to push you to the margins, isolate you, then attack you. You are absolutely cool enough to be a part of the community that God has called you to. Being cool has nothing to do with how you dress. It has everything to do with your faithfulness to the Lord. If you obey God, you're the coolest person in the room to me. So I just want you to know that. Man, all right. I've taken two rabbit trails and I have 23 minutes left. So are you guys good for that 23 minutes? So people feel that. They feel that when they come into the room. They feel like it's family. They feel that warmth. They feel that welcome. And not everybody does, but a lot of people do. And so that's what I'm recognizing that the Lord is leading us into is that I believe we have our motive right. I do. I think we do. Like as a leadership team, everybody, like, man, our motive is right. We want to love you. We want to love you, and, and we want to accept you, and we want to champion you, and we want to look you in the eyes and say, you're awesome. It doesn't matter what you've done or not done. You're the best. You have refrigerator privileges. From day one, just come in and get what you want. You're a part of the family. You could have been in the club last night, which if you were in the club last night in this season, you are weird. But... <laughs> I don't know any clubs that are open right now, but, you know, if you were, you're accepted. Like, you are accepted. We love you. But remember, our definition is where you're loved into your purpose. And there's no way we can develop any disciples into their purpose without the appropriate infrastructure. There's no way without steps and systems and a skeletal structure that we're going to be able to move people along within the process of their development so that we can see, testify, and witness the, the, the final product, for the lack of a better term, that God wants to transform us into, which I believe with all my heart is history makers, world changers, nation shakers, reformers, people who write history, people who change the world, people who heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse the leper, preach the gospel to the poor, people who truly make an impact on this generation because of the work of the Holy Spirit and the work of the community that they are a part of, that that becomes the result. Do you guys believe for this? Because I believe that's what church should be. If you don't think that that's what church should be, please just read the book of Acts. It's the only book in the Bible without an ending. You know why? Because we are the continuation of the church of Acts. There is a consistent evolution to what God wants to do to bring greater glory, to build line upon line, precept upon precept. You guys read this as well in your word. And so everything that we've witnessed in the book of Acts, we can see greater. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you guys are not excited about this, but 
in order to accomplish that, we're going to need some system and some structure and some, some infrastructure, some skeletal system. And, uh, and so that's what I've been leaning into because the thing that I have been so confused by is like, okay, God, if you want us to be a family, how do we implement these structural components? Because I don't just want to do church as suggested by the business sphere. Right? Because they're so good at system. They're so good at structure. But in reality, you'll never read throughout the New Testament and find where God anoints a person to lead a church. And he says, here's your business card. It says CEO. I'm, I'm about to get into trouble, huh? There's no CFO. There's no COO. There's no, like the way in which we by and large structure our churches today is not like a family, but like a business. And then we're confused as to how we can be so big and have so much information, but have so little impact by comparison to the 120 in the upper room. You ever think about that? About how shown up we are by those 120 like oppressed marge i mean half the room probably women you know it's like they didn't have a lot of rights at that stage of history you've got these uneducated fishermen and these people who've just been with jesus for three years and then all of a sudden they have this tremendous world uh changing impact like in in some sense like that should really indict us we have so much information, we have so much revelation, we have so many great leaders, we have so many podcasts, we have so many books, we have so many TV shows, and yet we are having, we're not having the same type of day-to-day impact. I think by and large we're having a lot of impact. I'm not down on the church, don't, please don't hear that, but I am somewhat down on what man calls the church. Right? Hey, remember this, truth is what God says. Religion is what man says God says. So I've just been on this journey where I'm like, okay, what, what is it that God wants to build through us? Because I don't know about you guys, but I want to be a biblical church. What about you? If you want to be, if you want to be a biblical church, just say, that's me. We want to be a biblical church. And um, so I got to thinking about these messages about family. And, um, and we, I was just remembering the amount of times throughout the scripture where he talks about, I am the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Um, you know, where we know that there are generational blessings. We know there are generational curses in Scripture where we know that um, God visits the sins of the fathers to the third and the fourth generation. We know that's there in the Scripture. There is something about inheritance. There is something about um, designing uh, kingdom structure around God's definition of family and recognizing that that's the way that the Lord longs to create and the way that the Lord longs to work through to extend His kingdom throughout the earth. We, if you remember the very first message of this series, I talked about the original Great Commission in which God gave to our first father, Adam, when he said, I want you to be fruitful and multiply, take dominion and subdue the earth. He said, within the context of intimacy, within the context of family, I want you to produce offspring and that become the vehicle in which God moves through to change the world. God has always chosen to move through family to shape the world and to fulfill his commissions. That, that, that's what he's, he's always done that. He's always done that with, with Abraham, with Isaac, with Jacob. He did that with uh, Noah and through his sons and to populate the earth. We know that family is very important to God. When we read the opening uh, few lines of the New Testament, it starts there. Matthew with the genealogy, the family line uh, uh, of uh, the Messiah, the Lord Jesus Christ. We know that the Bible in the beginning, uh, God created Elohim, plural, out of relational connection the Godhead created like are you guys getting this as a reminder is this too convoluted and okay we know that the very last scripture of the Old Testament it it, it is connected to family which is the scripture I want to read here in in just a moment and uh, I'm reminded of what Bill Johnson said he said when you have left the concept of family you've left the concept of kingdom Because this is what God has done throughout all of history. He has worked through families. He's worked through fathers and mothers and sons and daughters. And everything that we receive in the kingdom comes by inheritance. Let me make this statement. 
There is nothing that you have that you did not receive by inheritance. Spiritually. I mean, just really just have like a Selah moment for a minute. Like you didn't manufacture anything. (laughs) It puts it into perspective, doesn't it? Everything that we receive, we receive by inheritance in the spirit. All right. You guys have your thinking caps on or is it just naturally quiet because it's raining outside a little bit? You guys okay? Okay, cool. So the last two verses of Scripture in the Old Testament, I want to read these uh, two verses of Scripture to you because it's where I want to go today in the last 15 minutes. And it's Malachi chapter 4, verse 5 and 6, which says, Behold, I will send you Elijah. Everybody say Elijah. The prophet before the great and awesome day of the Lord comes, and he will turn the hearts of the fathers to their children and the hearts of the children to their fathers, lest I come and strike the land with a decree of utter destruction. That is a pretty powerful prophecy, is it not? God is saying, I am going to send Elijah the prophet, and here's what's very interesting about this, is that Elijah the prophet at this point in time in history in which Malachi was prophesying, Elijah had already lived and died, right? He went up in the whirlwind, right? Got taken up. That's how I want to go, right there. Just a whirlwind, you know? And so we know that that's already happened, so it seems to be a very interesting prophecy that Malachi says, I'm going to send to you Elijah, and Elijah's going to come with a supernatural assignment from God. What is that assignment? It's twofold. Number one, he's going to turn the hearts of the fathers to their children, and number two, he's going to turn the hearts of the children to their fathers. Now, if you look through the lens strictly of a Hebraic perspective, you could make an argument that he was talking about uh, the patriarchal uh, in a very good way of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob and the lineage and the inheritance of the truth of God through the Jewish people. And that was going to be turned uh, towards the the sons and the daughters of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And they were going to turn toward the fathers and they were going to come back home and they were going to be a part of, of Israel. Now, you can look at it that way and recognize that prophecy as such. But there was something bigger uh, that God was going to do through this word, through his son, Jesus. And we know that because multiple times throughout the New Testament, we see uh, Gabriel, the archangel, as well as Jesus Christ, the Messiah, alluding to the reality that Malachi's prophetic word had been fulfilled by his cousin, John the Baptist. Right? You, you see that multiple times. So literally you have Gabriel, the archangel, who prophesies in Luke chapter 1 verse 17 to the parents of John the Baptist. He says, he will go before him in the spirit and power of Elijah. Yeah. Right? So he's saying that about John the Baptist. To do what? To, this is verse 17, Luke 1. To turn the hearts of the fathers to the children and the disobedient to the wisdom of the just to make ready for the Lord a people prepared. Right, So Gabriel comes with that message from the Lord. He shares that about John the Baptist. And then Jesus in Matthew chapter 11, verse 11 says, Truly I say to you, among those born of women, there has arisen no one greater than John the Baptist. Yet, catch this, yet the one who is least in the kingdom of heaven is greater than he. Wow, that's pretty impressive. You know, you can just look at the person next and say, that, they're talking about you. That's pretty impressive, right? And so from the days of John the Baptist until now, the kingdom of heaven has suffered violence, and the violent take it by force. And we don't have time to break that all down, but here's the last line, verse 14. It says, for all of the prophets and the law prophesied until John, and if you are willing to accept it, words of Christ in red, he is Elijah who was to come. Yes. It's pretty amazing, right? So you have this prophetic word from Malachi, you know, 400 years later, you know, we're, we're, we're seeing the New Testament come about, Jesus, and he says, look, here's this prophecy that Malachi released centuries ago, and let me tell you who it's concerning. It is concerning the forerunner, John the Baptist, because he is going to fulfill this word about Elijah, because he, he is going to come in the spirit and the power of Elijah. You know, all of the prophets, all of the law, it it comes up to this. Why in the world did God choose Elijah as an example for how in which God was going to move in this this New Testament reality? Why did he choose Elijah? Why didn't he choose Noah? Why didn't he choose Moses? I mean, Moses, the great abolitionist. I mean, you know, Aaron, the priest. I mean, all these different people. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Why not choose any of those people? Pick Joseph. Pick Daniel. Pick David. Like, why in the world would you pick Elijah? Why would you pick Elijah? Because Elijah is the only Old Testament prophet that had a son 
that he passed on the inheritance to that wasn't his blood. The only way to be a priest or a prophet in the Old Testament was how? Your daddy had to be a priest or a prophet. He said, I want you to take Aaron and his sons, he had four sons, and I want you to anoint them as priests. So unless you were within the line of Aaron, you ain't going to be a priest. Sorry, you can't do it. You can't minister to the Lord. You can't go into the tent. You can't go into the temple. You can't do any of those things. Why? Because your daddy ain't a priest. But Elijah came to do something spectacular, which was he adopted into his lineage, a son that was not his own, like Elisha was not a priest, he was a farmer. That's what he was, he was a farmer, and he was plowing the field, that's what he was doing, and Elijah said, hey, you, you gonna come, you gonna follow me, right? So he takes him as a son, and then he follows him, and then throughout uh, the time <clears throat> leading up to his ascension, which is such a great picture, leading up to his ascension, he tries to get rid of him. Which is how it happens anytime you choose a spiritual father or a mother. <laughs> it's like you're going to have so many tests to be like, ah, scrap them. I'm getting out of here. I'm ejecting, man. They're terrible, right? He's constantly trying to get Elisha to leave him. And he says, no, if, you know, the only way you're going to get a double portion of my, of, of my anointing, which, by the way, Elisha is the only son that ends up with a double portion throughout all of the Old Testament. That's the only, that's the only one, right? Uh, Elijah does 21 miracles. Elisha does 42. You can count them. Like literally a double portion, right? You see that happen. So you're seeing here the connection between fathers and mothers, sons and daughters, and the way in which for us to walk in a double portion of the anointing of the previous generation. Is this, is this helping at all? Is it going too deep? Okay. So that's the only way possible. But see, our culture is so addicted to becoming self-made that we actually sabotage our relationships with moms and dads. And then we, we end up having to reset every generation and we have to walk in the fullness of our own anointing rather than allowing the momentum of the ages to catch up. And then we walk in a greater anointing than John the Baptist so that it could truly be said about us, dude, John the Baptist, man, his, his ceiling was your floor. Uh, they prophesied up until John, and even the person in the kingdom is greater than John. I mean, John is considered to be pretty awesome, but never works a miracle. You ever think about that? It's pretty amazing, right? And so I remember the very first time I ever heard about spiritual moms and dads, and I was like, moving to Bethel! <laughs> Going to get Bill's mantle! <laughs> I swear, that is exactly what I said. I'm like, I'm out of here. See you later, cornfields of West Kentucky. Ain't nobody here writing books. Nobody here has a podcast. There's nobody here raising the dead, which is not true because my dad's actually done that. But I was like, I'm going to Bethel. You know, because I'm going to get the biggest mantle that I can find, and that is Bill Johnson. And, 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 and you, know, you remember how, like, it talks about Paul trying to go to, like, uh, he's trying, where, where is he trying to go? He's trying to go to Asia. The Holy Spirit redirects him to Europe, you know. But he's like, and the Holy Spirit wouldn't permit us to go there. I tried to go to Bethel three times. The Holy Spirit would never let me go there, okay? So I tried. I attempted the pilgrimage. It just wouldn't work for me, all right? The Lord wouldn't let me go. He, the Holy Spirit forbid me. And I'm like, Lord, I'm going to Bethel. I'm going to serve Bill, and I'm going to get that mantle. And I remember exactly where I was sitting. I was in the sound booth of our school of ministry at the time in Calhoun, Kentucky, downstairs in this moldy basement. And the Lord spoke to me, and he's like, no, you're not. I'm like, Lord, this has to be your will. Consider the mantle. <laughs> you know? And he's like, no, your natural father will always be your primary spiritual father. And I'm going to use you as a prototype to this generation to fulfill the Malachi chapter 4 promise. That's what the, that's what the word of the Lord told me. That, that's, that's, that's what the Spirit of God said to me. And so I'm like, okay, you can, you know, test that. It's just, for me, it's stood the test of time and always been in something that's anchored in my soul. So right now, my dad and I, we're having all these side conversations. Like literally right now, this week, I'm like, how do I do that for you, Lord? How do I do that for you, Dad? Lord, how do I do that for my dad? Dad, 
How do we do this together? You know, what are we doing? We got to pray. We need to fast. We got to figure this out. Like there's something that God wants to do through our church. And it has to do with moms and dads and sons and daughters. And it has to do with family. And we've been trying to run away from it. But there is something other than just good motives and good feels and a little warmth. And a hey, I love you. And there has to be like a system and a structure and an understanding of how God moves through family, how he works. And I think it's the word from Malachi chapter 4. And he said, hey, here's what he's going to do first. He's going to turn the hearts of the dads. So much of what's going on in our world right now and so much of the chaos and so much of the brokenness is the result of fatherless families. You guys know that that is the case. You guys know that. We've all heard the news reports. We know that it's happening. And not only do we, do we have, you know, fatherless families, like legitimate, straight-up, orphaned children, but we also have absent fathers who are in the home but are never connected to their kids. We know that in itself is its own epidemic. Yeah. Right? And then we have in the church... People who are like, I'm a pastor, I'm called to be a leader, but they have refused to allow their hearts to be turned toward the next generation. And that's what the Lord actually says here in Malachi chapter 4. He said, I am going to turn the hearts of the fathers to the children. It's one thing to be like, I'm a dad, I'm a dad, I'm a dad. But until you've allowed the Holy Spirit to turn your heart to the next generation, you can't actually fulfill what it is that you're called to do in that role as a kingdom dad. And that goes for kingdom moms too. So I'm not leaving you guys out, women. Okay? I'm just, I'm simply saying like this is the way Malachi chapter 4 reads. And then secondly, what is Elijah going to do? The spirit of Elijah. He is then going to turn the hearts of the children to the fathers. And then that way the land, the region, the geographic territory is going to experience unprecedented blessing rather than a curse. We know that any problem happening in the world today, you can look at the home and you can look at the family and you can see any nation that is in disarray is dealing with the absence of dads. Dads and moms. So these are the things that I have been thinking about this, this week. And I'm like, Lord, first and foremost, I want to ask you to turn my heart. Like, anytime I preach a sermon, I always think about who cares, right? Like, who cares? What, what's going to be the practical takeaway? And I'm like, here's the practical takeaway. Repentance. Yeah. <laughs> here's the practical takeaway this week, church. Repentance. Because some of us have not allowed God to, to open our hearts, to turn our hearts towards those whom he's called us to equip. And disciple and pour into and support and champion and challenge and love on and do everything that we can so that they can step forward into their purpose. And for me as a father, that's where I found myself this week. I'm like, this is the takeaway. God, I repent. Lord, I am so sorry for how I have not allowed my heart to be turned. Turn my heart. And I want to invite each and every one of you guys to do the same as moms and dads because we have an assignment and it's not just about the next generation being younger than you. It's not about them being two decades younger than you. It is about those in whom God has placed a part of your community that you have a responsibility to help the spirit steward, to love, to challenge, to pour in, to develop, to disciple Right? It's amazing we read all these stories that are written by the disciples and yet so many in the modern church have never made one disciple. And part of this is because we have not allowed our hearts to be turned. We, we need to repent. And I got one minute and 28 seconds to hit point three and, and I'm going to move quick on it. Is that okay? And that is to turn our hearts as children to our Mothers and fathers. Uh, Jake's, T.D. Jake said this, all lasting works will only survive as we cultivate the power of a father to his son. I was like, whoa, okay, Jake's, let's go. <laughs> Get this, Jesus had no right to ministry until his father said, you are my son. It didn't matter his station of birth. It didn't matter the angels 
uh, that were in attendance. It didn't matter the prophecies. It didn't matter his gifts. It didn't matter his skills. It didn't matter his talents. It didn't matter his abilities. It didn't matter his preparation. It didn't matter, etc. Jesus could not actually step out into his ministry until the Father gave his approval. And I'm telling you, that's the way everything works in the kingdom. That's the way we step out into the fullness of our ministries. That's the way we step out into the fullness of our callings is that we have coverings. So this is some of that methodology that I wanted to allude to. I don't have time to go deeper into this, but I want to pray for those of you guys who feel like, man, there is no way I can turn my hearts uh, my heart towards a mom or a dad. There is no way I'm going to have a discipler because I have been so hurt in the past. There is no way I'm going to allow that to happen again. Some of us, you guys remember the story of Malchus? Probably not, right? Because he's kind of a random guy in the Bible. Uh, you remember whenever um, they came to arrest Jesus and then there was a disciple that drew a sword and then he sliced off the ear of Malchus. That was his name. Yeah, it's only in one of the synoptic gospels. And so like, boom, slices off his ear. And I think we have a generation of people who've literally been cut on by moms and dads, by apostles and prophets and preachers and pastors. And like they've just been, they have used the sword, the word of God to cut on them. And, and, and it's so important that we remember we should never strike what God has called us to speak to. We have to remember that. I mean, um, consider, consider Moses. He says, you're not going to go into your promised land. You know why? Because you struck the rock and I told you to speak to it. We can't strike what God's called us to speak to. That will inhibit us from entering into our promises. Is, is it helpful? I've kind of said a lot and I don't know if I've said anything, but that's where we need to close and I want to pray. So here's the thing. I, if you guys don't mind, just to stand up because we're just going to pray. And I first want to start because we're all called to be moms and dads. And it may not be in this season that we're walking in the fullness of that expression of our calling, but we surely can prepare our hearts to become disciplers. And there is a trajectory that God has you on of maturity and development, and He will bring you into a place where you are fully called and equipped to mother and father the next generation of disciples. And so I just want us to pray right now. Lord, turn our hearts. Lord, we repent for every place that we have not allowed our hearts to be turned. Every place that we have shielded our hearts because we are afraid of being hurt. We are afraid of being rejected. We are, we are afraid of being told that we are not ready yet to disciple somebody or pour into them or share advice or counsel with them. Lord, we repent of that. We repent of the fear. We reject that apathy and we choose to step into the grace that you have upon our lives as disciplers, be it moms and dads, be it uh, leaders within the context of a church or a discipler within the setting of a living room. Lord, we choose to receive your assignment and we say yes and amen. Just like when we finished up worship today, we say do a work in our hearts, do a work in our spirits, shake everything that can be shaken so that we might step into the anointing that we are called to function in as moms and dads in the body of Christ. How do you become a great dad? How do you become a great mom? By learning how to be a great son and a great daughter. Because if you can't be a great son and great daughter, you're not going to be able to be a great mother or father. You won't create families, you'll create orphanages. And that is not what the church is. The church is a family, not an orphanage. And so, Lord, we pray right now, God, that you would turn our hearts as children towards our mothers and our fathers. Each and every one of us has a mom and a dad in our lives. Perhaps multiple. I know I can count multiple for myself, and I'm sure you can too. Multiple moms and dads, people who have wisdom, People who have gold, people who have uh, glory and testimony and experiences and counsel and prophetic words and, and prepared to impart gifts to us. Lord, we pray that we, we would turn our hearts toward them, that we wouldn't disqualify them because of their age. We wouldn't look down upon them because they're, 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 they're from a different era uh, from our perspective, Lord, but that we would truly honor them and elevate them and, and cherish their voice 
places in our lives and draw the gold out of them, Lord, so that those double portion mantles might fall upon us, might fall upon our house, might fall upon our families, Lord. We don't want to start from scratch. We want the overflow of the next generation so that their ceiling truly can be our floor. And so we choose to begin to structure this house as best as we can, uh, we know you're going to give us grace, Lord, but we surely are going to do everything that we can to obey you. We, we, we're going to confess right now. We're completely dependent upon you. We don't know everything that we're doing. I, I, I've been processing up here slash preaching up here. Lord, we don't know everything, but look, what we do know is, Jesus, you are the way, the truth, and the life. And if we follow you, you will show us and lead us down a path of all truth. And so we ask you, God, structure this church in the way that you long for it to, to, to flow and to function. Lord, we want it to flourish your way. And we pray that in Jesus' name, amen. And I just want to ask you guys that are a part of this family. And it's so interesting. I know we have people watching on YouTube and Facebook who are not a part of this family. They're from other countries. And we're having a bit of a family meeting today. So it may feel strange that you are a part of that. But just know, like, from a distance, you are a part of the family. Maybe the Lord is calling you to move to Nashville. Hint, Hint, I'm just kidding. Just do what you feel. But we do would love to have you visit and spend time with us. And we truly ask all of you guys and those of you guys online, you know, pray for Allison and I. As we discern and learn how to become better moms and uh, a mom and a dad to this local environment, you know, like uh, it's very interesting. I don't know if this is the case still, but last I checked, we were the youngest senior pastors in the Nashville area, and that has been the case for quite some time. So I'll, I'm going to be happy when the day comes when we're no longer the youngest. I'm be like, yeah, that's right. Deal with that. No, I'm only joking, but we do genuinely ask for your prayers because a part of this transformation in our house has to do with transformation in our hearts too. So just pray for us. Church, we love you. We bless you. We thank you uh, for coming today and for tuning in online. In Jesus' name, see you soon. Thanks for tuning in to the Legacy Nashville podcast. If you'd like to support the ministry, you can do so at LegacyNashville.org forward slash give. If you're listening on iTunes, log into the store and give us a good rating and review. This helps our podcast reach new people with the good news of Jesus Christ. Until next week, love God, love people, and go change the world.